mostly pretty easy to understand. Not all of it is. But, uh, but it's very cool. And it's a very good thing to do. Let me tell you how, what the plan of Zechariah is for a moment, and then we'll work on the first part of it here in the time we've got left. Um, Zechariah is very easy to outline. Now, some of them we just kind of grouped together in one blob, but it's still easy to outline. You've got the first six chapters. The first six chapters is introduction, eight visions, conclusion. Cut and dry, easy to outline. Chapter seven and eight is a question with a very, very, very long answer. Chapters 9 to 14 is everything else. 9 to 14 is more complicated. Really cool. There's some really awesome things in 9 to 14, but that's the part that we'll have to work on a little bit more to get. Um, but, but 1 to 6 is really simple in, in concept. You know, introduction, eight visions, conclusion. And I love the vision stuff. You know, the vision stuff in the Bible is so cool because you can see it. You know, Zechariah saw this stuff, he describes it, and the first thing you always need to do, whenever you've got a vision in the Bible, is see it. Before you ever say, what does it mean? See it! It's what you need to do in the book of Revelation always. See it first, and then ask the question what it means. So, Zechariah 1, somebody read the introduction, 1 to 6. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. So, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Verse 2. Sometimes we hear people say, The Lord doesn't get angry with people, just with their sins. That's not true. The Lord was very angry with them, and it showed. Because what did he do to them? What did he do with the previous generations of Israelites? Killed or deported. Yeah, killed or deported. Exactly. Send them to exile. Send them to captivity. He was very angry with them. And so they should learn a lesson from their forefathers. What should they do? Return to God. Return to God, exactly. That is the basic message of the prophets. Repent. Return to God. That's the basic plea to sinful man. Turn back to God. Who says that? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, verse 3. Three times. God is the authoritative, sovereign God. Come back to it. You know, don't be like your fathers, because the former prophets told them to return, and what did they do? They didn't listen. They were told to return for their evil ways and deeds, their evil mindset and their evil practices, but they didn't do it. So what happened to them? Verse 6. 
God said would happen to them, happen to them. Yeah. Don't you love the way he says it? The, my words and my statutes that the prophets spoke overtook them. It's like they caught up to them and grabbed them. The word will always catch up to us. You know, you won't be able to escape because God always knows. And everything God says was fulfilled. Just like God said he would, that's what he did. So learn a lesson from the previous generation. When they didn't obey those prophets, they got what God said they'd get. They were taken into captivity. Don't you be like that. You return to God. What do you think about a message like this? You like hearing this kind of preaching? Repent! If you don't, God's word's going to catch up to you. Is that fun to listen to? Not really, is it? Would you like to have something more uplifting, more encouraging, more positive? You know, sometimes we, we're like, you know, I just want to feel good. I don't come to church to get beat down. I want to feel good. I want somebody to lift me up. But you know, feeling good's one thing. But we really kind of need to hear what we ought to hear. It's kind of like, do you ever go to the doctor saying, you know, man, I hope you'll make me, uh, I hope he'll give me good news today. I, I'm tired of these doctors that are always tell you you got something wrong with you. I want a doctor that only says good things to you. You want to go to that kind of doctor? I know you like to hear good things, but but I mean, if you, know, if you had a doctor that promised, you know, he got on TV and he said, you know, it's kind of like you know these dentists that say there's no pain. Well, here's a doctor that says I never get bad news. Every patient always tells good stuff. And he always leaves feeling good. Is that the kind of doctor you want? What's the problem with that? Yeah, it's not true. <laughs> you know, you. Hey, I'd love to get good news from the doctor, but I really want him to be honest with me because if I've got something wrong with me, I really need to know it and start fixing it. You know, and, and if we've got something wrong with it spiritually, you know, oh, I just want somebody to tell me things that make me feel good. Well, but if we're not doing good, we need somebody to tell us things to help us change. You know, sometimes we don't like telling people what they need to hear, but if they need to hear it, we need to tell them. You know, sometimes we're like, you know, we're very defensive of our children. You know, don't tell my kids they're ever doing anything wrong. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, there's things worse than hurt feelings. You know, so the prophets are, are kind of negative a lot of times because the people weren't doing very well most of the time. And, and that's exactly what they needed to be because that's the situation. We've got to get over being sensitive about wanting everything to sound good and be just like we like to hear it. And think, you know, I really want to hear what I need to hear. It may make me sad, but it's better to be sad now and change than to be sad forever. And, and I think, you know, when I hear people, you know, there's always wanting it to be positive. It's like, did you ever read the Bible? <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, like, you know, we need the balance God's word. We need to just see what he's saying. And just read it a lot. And, and try to stay with the balance that it gives. 
And, and I was just recently, I don't think about using this as an illustration, but recently, there is a, a man um, that was an elder in a church where I preached for five years. He was probably the biggest influence on my spiritual life. And he left the Lord seven years ago. I had to go into just basically believing and doing whatever you felt like. And I hadn't had contact with him in a long time. He, he started writing. And we talked for a while. We exchanged several things back and forth. But it's like, well, he said he was just tired of all this negative stuff. He didn't want to hear all that. I said, but this is what the Bible says. And, and you know, I, he said, you know, it was like, you know, where did you get this? You know, so often it's like we come up with our own preconceived notion of this is what I want God to say. But we need to listen to his word and say, okay, this is what he does say. It may not be the way I wanted him to say it. It's not the kind of religion I'm really looking for, but it's what I need because he knows me better than I do. He's the best doctor there is. If he tells me I'm sick, I better listen. Don't just shop around for another doctor who tells you you're well. But that's what we do so often. And so, Zachariah, just like Haggai to a great extent, has some pretty rough things to say, even from the very beginning. He didn't start out saying really nice, fuzzy things to him. He started out saying, you better repent. Because it caught up to your fathers, it'll catch up to you if you don't. Thoughts and comments. Sorry for that. Sorry. Yes? Well, I found verse 3 incredibly positive. Yes, because it didn't turn to us. Yeah, and, and it's a great pattern for us as people, right? If if people I know are robbing banks, I really can't have them live in my house and basically give them aid and comfort. If people I know are not living right, I can't. Uh, they have to return to living right for me to return to them. And I have no choice about that. God, this is a very merciful verse. I think verse 3 is just this incredible mercy. Amen. He wants to return to us, to everybody. But he won't return to us on our terms. You know, let me do anything I want to do. Let me live the way I want to live. He knows better than we know. We may not like some of the things he knows. But he knows better than we know. And so we have to return to him on his terms. But he wants us to do that so that he can return to us. Amen. And then we, we apply that to people that we deal with. And we should be just like God on this as much as we can be. Great point. Yes, it is. It's, it, it, he wants to bless us. He wants to heal us. So it is positive in that sense. And we need to see it that way. The doctor is too. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, yeah the, I think that analogy with the doctor is... Um, it's a scary thing because if you have people that are not wanting to come to you, they don't want to get better, they don't want to hear the bad news because they know they're not healthy. You know, I know my weight's up or whatever it is, if I don't want to go hear what I need to hear, that's a really scary state. I mean, how many people spiritually are avoiding coming to a service because of what they, they know they're going to hear something that they need to hear? But you're avoiding it. And that's just such a scary place to be because how do you reach somebody? And you know, it's up to them at some point. They, you know, and, and if we struggle with that ourselves, but um, that's a really scary thing to me to think about is that some people are avoiding coming here not because they don't believe, but because they do they do believe, they do know what's right. And they're they're not coming because they don't want to hear it. Good point. 
So first vision, first vision, first half, 7 through 11. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Okay, so this first vision, what does Zacharias see first? And where was he? And where were the marble trees? What's a ravine? Like a valley. May symbolize the low state of Judah at this time, but whatever. That's and there are other colored horses behind him. You've got this kind of angel that is always talking to Zachariah like his personal guy or assistant. And the angel, uh, he said, who are these? What are these? And the angel said, I'll show you. And so the man that was there among the mortal trees said, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So they say they patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. This is the Lord's equestrian reconnaissance troop. They're sent out on horses to go all over the world and see what's going on and report back. And what kind of report do they get? Things are good. Things are restful. Things are peaceful and quiet. Is that good? Sounds good. It sounds good. I usually ask that question and, and catch people. It turns out, we'll see in the next section, that was not good. The Lord was not happy about that report. But on the surface, you would assume that would be a good thing. That's the report that's given. It's not really the promise, though, from the Haggai chapter 2, where God's going to shake everything up. Uh, so continue looking. Verse 12, Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with which you have been indignant these 70 years? The Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious words, comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations who are at ease. For while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again, proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Well, here's the problem. 
You've got Jerusalem and Judah still <laughs> languishing after these 70 years. They still are dominated by the Persian government. They are still being oppressed. And God is jealous for his people. He is not passive. He cares about his people. He's angry with the nations. He was a little angry, and they made him angrier. Now here's what I think happened. The nations that God sent to punish his people cruelly abused them. He wanted Judah to get a good spanking, and they beat him. And so God turned his anger from his people to the nations who were abusing them, and he's not happy that things are peaceful and quiet. He's ready to shake those nations up and again bless his people. The time has come that the nations need to get their due and God's people need to be comforted and built up. This is the, the, the pat prophecy. This is the encouraging prophecy. Now that they are doing the work of the Lord, that uh, God is going to right the wrongs. He's going to punish their oppressors and bless them. Now, much of what Zechariah says, the ultimate fulfillment is in Christ. But I think that's certainly true here that he's really thinking of how ultimately in Christ his people would be blessed and the nations would be punished. Comments and questions? That forms, by the way, the background for those horses in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6. And if you're studying Revelation, don't forget about this passage. This will give you some good background information on those horses. Let's do one more section here. Would somebody read 18 to 21? And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? He said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter. So what is uh, Zechariah see? Four horns. When you think of four horns, what are you thinking of? Rhinoceros. <laughs> All right. How many of you are thinking of animal horns? How many of you think of uh, musical horns? Yeah, pretty close. It's animal. Uh, that's a, that's something in our English language. It's not something in uh, in their language. Portuguese, I never have any problem with that. It's two different words. But in our English language, we've got one word for horn, and it can mean musical or animal. When you read a horn in the Bible, it's animal. And, there, and there's a reason why he talks about the four horns. Horns on an animal represent what? Yeah, which is the animal, the animal and, and the horn for the animal is its what? Protection. Its protection, its power, its strength. So these are the horns that destroyed God's people. They represent the powers, the four horns from all four directions that came against God's people and scattered them. Then what does Zechariah see? And what are they going to do? 
They're going to terrify and throw down the horns of the nations. So for every horn of an oppressing nation against his people, God's got a craftsman. I have no idea exactly how to think of those craftsmen. I've almost thought of like a blacksmith or something with pounding the horn in. But maybe that maybe we need to think of a different figure, I don't know. But the idea is that God's got a force to oppose every enemy we face. God's going to neutralize the power of those oppressing horns. God's going to bless his people again. So Zechariah comes along and he's got some encouraging news for uh, the people. God is going to deal with their oppressors. He's going to make sure that things get shaken up and they get punished. He's going to, to beat down the horns that were oppressing them. Got a bunch more visions. That was vision one and two. The vision of the horses, the vision of the horns. Um, there's just some really cool visions. There's some a lot more elaborate than the ones we just looked at. So uh, we will work on those tomorrow. I really am excited about being able to do that. I really appreciate your attention. Excellent attention. It's a lot of fun to do this, and uh, just appreciate you coming out and being involved with this.